going to be in Ephesians chapter one today uh, in this series on Ephesians. And uh, for the next 16 weeks, it's kind of where we'll camp out. So it's going to be on page 568 for using one of our blue Bibles. If you don't have a blue Bible, you can stand up at any point and uh, just grab a Bible from the communion tables. You know, so we come to this letter that, that Paul has written to uh, the, the early church in, in Ephesus and the surrounding places. And uh, you know, we spent a week last week talking about these epic, beautiful truths about God, right? If you were with us, you know, we talked about these ideas. <laughs> We've been adopted by God. He like lavished his grace and given his spiritual blessings, just these huge, beautiful, magnificent truths. And those things, I think, just sound so amazing. And I can leave weeks last week and just be like so pumped and like, man, God, you're so good. You're so beautiful. But sometimes like if we can just be honest, on Monday last week or maybe on Thursday throughout the week, our lives don't always experience the fullness of those truths. Do you ever feel like things in your life just really aren't going the way that you planned them to go? Uh, like there's difficulty, like just like, why is life so tough? Why, why are circumstances so difficult? Why are relationships so hard? Why is growing in the Lord and walking with the Lord so difficult for me? You know, even though God has said that I'm his adopted daughter, adopted son, like I still struggle with my identity as being loved. I feel like I have to earn it. You know, even though God has told me, I've been given all these spiritual blessings I feel like spiritual blessings are few and far between in my life. Even more, you know, there's pain and sin that we deal with. We look around the world and we see injustice and brokenness, both out in the world and in our own lives. And it's like, what is going on? These truths that God has said are so beautiful and magnificent, that have such weight for our lives, don't always seem to be lining up with our experience. I think our, our text from Ephesians 1 today uh, can give us some clues into what God is up to in this tension and, and how we might take some steps into growing with God as we walk with him. So uh, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses 15 through 23, page 568. If you're using uh, one of our Bibles, I'm gonna read uh, this, this text together and then we'll, we'll uh, get into it. Verse 15, Paul says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So at first glance, uh, this text is huge again. It's Paul's on one of his rants again, just like last week. He's thrown all grammatical caution to the wind. There's no periods. He's just writing and praying. I just get this picture, like he's, he's thinking about this church that he's heard of. He's thinking about the people of God that he's heard news of and he's just moved to this passionate prayer and he can't stop praying and writing and it moves him to just this beautiful prayer and this exaltation of Jesus. 
And throughout Paul's prayer for these people, he, he adds on to some of the things that we talked about last week, some of these beautiful truths about God, what God has done and what God desires for us. He talks about this hope of God's calling, the glorious inheritance of God, the power of God, the authority of Jesus in earth. And, and again, these things are so beautiful and true. We'll get into them in a few minutes, but right off the bat, there's a tension I think we feel again. God has said that there's hope, but often life feels like despair. God tells us of his great power, this immeasurable power that we can experience, but we often feel powerless over our sin and over our circumstances. Paul says that Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God, that he's ruling over all things, has all authority, but we look around the world and it's like, Jesus, are you really in charge here? I see this injustice, I see this difficulty, this brokenness in our world, and what are you doing? I think we, we get a clue at the end of verse 21 Paul uh, says a little phrase that I think um, lets us in on this tension about what we feel. He says, you know, he's exalting Jesus, saying he's above every name that is named. And at the end of verse 21, he says this phrase, not only in this age, but in the age to come. I wonder what Paul means by this. You know, this phrase jumped out at me after hours and hours in the text this week. I was just kind of thinking and trying to meditate on the text. You know, what what is Paul trying to say? And this phrase just jumped off the page. Paul, why did you include this bit of information about this age and the age to come? I think he's in on the tension that we feel in our lives. That this age, this time looks a little different than the age that will come. We could say that Paul believes that God has already done some amazing things in Jesus just done some beautiful things on the cross through Jesus, lavishing his grace, things that we've talked about, but there's this aspect of it that's, that's not yet fully happening in our lives. Many scholars will point out this theme throughout the whole Bible, oftentimes in Paul's writing, where they, they call this the tension of the already and the not yet. What God's already done in Jesus and the not yet of what Jesus will do at the end of time when he comes back and restores all things. I uh, thought about this tension a little bit, this back, back and forth uh, in, in regards to uh, preparing for Virginia and I's wedding. You know, so it, w- once you're engaged, you know, there's a few weeks where you're just really excited and you're just like carefree. And it's like, oh shoot, we have to plan this huge party for like hundreds of people. What are we gonna do? And the responsibility and the tasks set in, which I loved personally, but um, you know, there's this huge thing. You gotta start doing stuff, right? You gotta get ready for this celebration. And I was just thinking about how, you know, you go to the venue and you think, okay, what is this going to be like? You know, where, where are the tables going to be? Where's the dance floor going to be? You, you begin to imagine what, what, it will, what it will be like when you get to celebrate. And you, and you go and you, you think about um, getting fitted for a tux or for a dress. You begin to imagine, okay, what is this going to be like? You imagine it. My favorite part was the cake tasting. Uh, so, you know, so you go to a place and they're like, okay, here's a, a plate of cake, just all different, 12 different types of cakes. Let's just do it. You know, you got coffee and you're just one after another, you're riding and you're talking, and you're having fun. That was the best part of the preparation, I think. But it was this picture of tasting something and enjoying a, a foretaste of it, but it's not the full celebration yet, right? So you're getting, you're getting a picture of what is, what is this gonna be like? What is this gonna taste like? but you're, you're not yet experiencing the fullness of the celebration. So I think that's what Paul is letting us in on here. So, so, so what do we do in, in, in what people call the overlap of this age, the already, and the next age, the not yet? The times that exist firmly in what God has already done for us, but, 
but we long and yearn for the fullness of what Jesus will bring. I think Paul tells us what to do in this overlap uh, of the ages. So let's jump back into the text for a few minutes and see how Paul unpacks this for us. Back in verse 15, he begins with, for this reason. So it's almost like he, he said all the things he just said last week. He's like, okay, I know none of you probably comprehended any of that, so I'm just gonna pray for you. <laughs> I'm just gonna pray that God would help you understand some of this. And he continues, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, help me out here, that you may, what? Know. That's kind of the hinge word for this whole passage. That you may know. And that, that word know has a very relational uh, connotation to it. That, that you may know God better. Maybe that's what some of your translations say. It's important that we see what Paul is praying here. He doesn't pray for God to give them grace or to give them spiritual blessings. He says, God's already given you all those things. He's lavished his grace. He's given you the spiritual blessings. I want you to know them more deeply. That's what the song we were singing earlier about the Holy Spirit. You know, let us become more aware of your presence that is already here. Let us experience the goodness that you've already given to us. God's already lavished these things on us. And, and Paul is praying that we may know them more deeply. Just because everything has been given them, given to them in Christ, it doesn't mean that they fully understand and experience the depths of those realities. I was thinking this week, anybody familiar with the royal family in England, right? Okay, one person. Okay, so we know who the royal family is, right? So Prince William and uh, Kate Middleton, right? With their little boy, Prince George. And, and I don't know if I've seen a picture where that kid doesn't look perfect. Like this, just the most photogenic little boy. And I was just thinking how um, uh, this, little, this little boy, he's starting school this year, he's three years old, Prince George, and he has no idea the power that he has. Like no idea how much control that, that he actually has. Probably more than most people in the world. And he is three, right? <laughs> he doesn't know what, what resources are available to him. What, what, what resources are at his disposal. The riches of his dad and his mom. The opportunity for education and growth and connection with people throughout his life. He has no idea. But as he gets older he will begin to grasp more fully what he already has, right? He will begin to grasp more fully the significance of the family that he is in and all that that affords him. I was reading in 1 John chapter three this week and in verse two it says that now we are children of God. Currently, we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him for we, we will see him as he truly is. So again, we have this picture of now we're in the family. We're little Prince George. We, we have all the rights and the blessings of being in the family, but we don't yet fully experience the, the beauty and the significance of all that that means. So living in this overlap, in the times between the already of what we experience in Christ and the not yet of what he will bring, we are to grow in our knowledge and our understanding an experience of everything that God has done for us. That, that's what Paul is praying for us in this, in this text. And Paul could have prayed all sorts of things, right? He's in prison. He, he knows that the, the church is being persecuted. He could have prayed for comfort and, and safety among the people, right? He could have prayed for material wealth 
and protection and faith, but he spends a few minutes praying that they would know a few things. So I wanna look briefly at what Paul wants them to know. And it's gonna center around three things, hope, inheritance, and power. Hope, inheritance, and power. And before we jump into those, I wanna just briefly talk about what he's talking about when he says no that I want you to know these things. So knowing in the Hebrew culture wasn't just intellectual things. It wasn't just about facts, you know, a math problem. (laughs) It wasn't just knowing the answer to a question. Knowledge for the Hebrew culture and in the culture uh, to which he was writing uh, was knowledge that would work itself out in someone's life. Um, It's knowledge that goes beyond facts and something uh, that develops in your life as you follow God. To put it another way, knowledge leads to life change. Otherwise, you don't really know that thing. That's what Paul's talking about here. So he's talking about this deep, heart, head, emotional, everything about you knowing something in a way that changes how you live. So let's talk about the first one, hope. So I want you to know the hope to which he has called you. And hope right off the bat in this tension we're talking about leans into the future, into the not yet, right? You, you hope for something you don't have. So if you get a paperback from your professor and it's got a B on it and you turn to your classmate and you say, man, I really hope I get an A on this test. It's like, dude, you got a B, you're an idiot. Like you already got the test back, right? You hope for something you don't yet know or something you don't yet have. And you lean into the future. But many translations here, you know, say the hope to which he has called you. And it's important for us to see here that it's the hope of his calling. He doesn't say, I want you to, to have the hope of your calling in Christ. That's not, that's not what Paul's saying. He's not, he's not saying, okay, God has a great plan for your life of comfort and marriage and kids and job. Uh, I want you to have hope because God has a great plan for you in your life. That, that's not what Paul is saying here. Whenever Paul uses this language about calling and hope, so often he's talking about the call that God uh, gave to us that brought us to salvation. So he's saying that God called you and you were saved by Jesus. And because he is the one that called you, He is the one that will continue to save you. And that should give you some hope about your present, about your already situation. So in our present realities, in the already, where we still struggle with sin, where we still struggle with difficulty and brokenness in our lives, we can have hope because God is the one that started this. God is the one that called and God is the one that will continue to work in us. And it doesn't rest on our abilities or our power, but on his. So that's the first thing Paul prays for the church to know more deeply. The second is inheritance, to know the the riches of God's inheritance. This is just a crazy phrase. He doesn't just pray, I want you to know what God's inheritance is or God's inheritance in the saints or the the glory of God's inheritance. He prays, I want you to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's like, I don't even know what that means. So we're just gonna keep going. Um, We're just gonna skip over it, right? Um, No, I'll, I'll try to explain it a little bit. Um, Inheritance is all about the future, right? It's something that you currently have, but you don't yet experience. Uh, It's this idea of already and not yet that we've seen. It's the idea of whenever your parents and your grandparents pass away, there's something that they left behind, some possession, some treasure that they wanted you to have. So in one sense, you have an inheritance, but you don't yet have it. So when we hear this phrase, you know, immediately right off the bat, we might think, okay, so who has to die? You know, what's happening from our perspective? And, and I thought about this, this phrase from our uh, perspective a lot this week, but then I noticed, again, it isn't our inheritance that God is talking about. He says that you would know the, uh, that you would know the riches of his inheritance in the saints. It's his inheritance. And he's saying that the saints, you and me, those who believe in God, is the treasured possession of God that he wants to enjoy 
uh, for all eternity after Jesus returns. Think of the unbelievable value that this places on you and me. That God would say, my inheritance, my um, treasured possession in my being is the people in my family, my sons and daughters that I have adopted into my family. So I think Paul's praying that we will grasp more deeply the significance and the value that he has placed on us when he has adopted us. So that's the second thing. The last thing is the greatness of God's power. And this is just awesome. Paul you know, crescendos the entire text into talking about the power of God. And I love that he says it's the power of God for us who believe. It's for us. Its purpose is for us to be experienced by us. And he just uses every word he can think of to talk about this. You know, the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the exertion or the working of his great might. You know, he just throws this thesaurus into the text and it's like, how can I describe the power of God? Some of the Greek words here are, are really interesting. And, and I, I say these not to be pretentious about knowing some of the Greek words, but because I think it will help us understand what Paul is doing here. So the first phrase is a measurable greatness. Uh, that word immeasurable in the Greek is called hyperbolo. So I wanted to think for a moment what English word we could get from that. Okay, not rhetorical question. So sometimes the U's change to Y's. So hyperbolo, anybody got a hyperbole? Great job. Okay, we, we did it. You know, so that's the first one he uses. And you think about hyperbole in, in our language, it's this idea of exceeding what you need to say about something. So this is why people in, in, our, like, uh, in our generation use the word literally way too much. It's like Baja Burrito was literally so good, I am dead. <laughs> like I'm dead, I'm done. You know, like, you know, we say that and it's like, that's hyperbole. You're using this language to talk about, um, you're exceeding what you need to say about it. And Paul isn't exaggerating the power of God here like hyperbole functions in our language, but he's, he's trying to describe the exceeding ways that God's power exceeds and surpasses our expectations. The next word, uh, so immeasurable greatness is, is the word megathos, this like power, mega, huge, big type of word. That's the word for greatness. And then the final word is, is the word for power. And let's, let's do this one. This, this word is called dunamis. So everyone say dunamis together. One, two, three, dunamis. All right, so change the U to a Y again and see what word we can get in English. Dynamis. Anybody? Dyn dynamite, right? Okay, so dynamite is the final word, maybe, right? So Paul is sitting down. He's got his Greek thesaurus open. He's like, okay, how do I describe God's power? hyperbole, mega, dynamite. <laughs> He's just like trying to come up with words to describe this. The resources in Christ available to us as believers are enormous, not just in the future, but in the here and now. He's trying to convince his readers of God's power working on their behalf. It's incomparable and he will accomplish all of his purposes in creation. This would have been really important for the first hearers in, in the first century. In their culture, uh, the predominant faith or religion in the area was at a place called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. And it was this hyper-spiritualized religion where there's magic powers and powers at war and competing that you would try and um, uh, get to work on your behalf. And this would have been so important for the people to hear the, the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus far exceeds every power they witness in their day-to-day -day lives, in their culture. 
that the authority of Jesus goes far beyond the authority of the powers they see at the temple of Artemis. We in our culture think we're very spiritual, but we're actually not. We have put all of our eggs in the basket of reason and rationality. If you were to go to other countries in the third world, you've probably experienced this. Where if you go to Haiti, there's this voodoo culture that's very hyper-spiritualized. They believe in the spiritual powers at work. And Paul later in Ephesians 6 is gonna talk about this. We'll get to this in a few months. Maybe you've heard this text before. Where he says, we're not at war with flesh and blood, with other people. We're at war with spiritual powers, <laughs> spiritual authorities. That's what we're at war against. And this text just sets up how firmly and control and how firmly powerful Jesus is and how that power is available to all of us who believe. So how do we obtain this? You know, how, how do we take some steps in this, in the middle of this tension about what God has already done, about what God continues to do and will ultimately do in Christ? I think Paul tells us right at the beginning, and this is, this is how we'll end, and this, this is the phrase that Jared uh, called us to worship in. So let's jump back in, verse 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that you can have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. So in this spiritual culture that, that we actually live in, the spiritual reality that we actually live in, Paul says, you can't earn this. You can't reason your way into experiencing these things. You need the spirit of God to give you wisdom and revelation and insight into the, the things that God's already given you. And, he, and the spirit has to enlighten, to illuminate the eyes of your heart so that you can see clearly the reality that you live in. There's so much here, but the idea is that, you know, we can walk through life loving God, believing in God, but have our spiritual eyes and our spiritual hearts in complete darkness not truly seeing the reality that we're living in. So Paul is praying, you need the spirit to open your eyes, to give you clarity into what God has already given you and experiencing the power and the goodness of what he has given you. So that's what we do. We pray for more of the Holy Spirit, for wisdom, for discernment, for power in the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. He wants you to know God better. So in your life, you wake up every day in this tension. God has said that you're an adopted daughter or son, but we struggle to see ourselves as valuable. God has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ, but we feel as though he's far away and doesn't often speak to us sometimes. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is dwelling inside of us, but we often do not experience the Spirit's voice. We don't always know which way to go in life. God makes available to us the immeasurable greatness and resources of his power, but we feel powerless over our sin and over our circumstances. So what do we do? What will we do? Will we become complacent in the already, comfortable with the basic and shallow experiences of our faith, attending a church gathering once a week, checking off the spiritual box to curb our feeling of guilt, Will we be content in the hopelessness and the powerlessness that we might feel looking at the world's injustices around us, walking in defeat in our sin instead of victory over it? Or will we invite the not yet into our, into our lives? Will we ask God over and over and over again for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, more of his presence to be made more aware of his goodness and his power in our lives? so that um, what God is doing is illuminated 
Will we reject complacency and take up the life of discovering more and more of the riches of who God is and what he has done for us? Will we take hold of the power available to us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in us to defeat sin in our lives and partner with God on his mission? I believe that's what God invites us into. I believe that's what Paul is inviting us into, to live in the overlap of these ages with a deep desire to know him more and to experience him more. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we confess our powerlessness on our own. Um, We cannot understand, we cannot uh, grow in our walk with you without the help of your spirit. So Holy Spirit, I ask during this time uh, that, that you would begin to help us be made more aware of your presence, both in this place and in our hearts and lives that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would illuminate um, the spiritual hearts and our spiritual eyes in such a way that we grow into understanding this beautiful hope that you've given us, the power that you have made available to us. God, help us in this time as we live in the already and we live in the messiness and the brokenness and the sin that we walk in in our day-to-day lives. Help us, help us take steps Uh, towards what you're doing in the future, to grow in our understanding of all these things and to experience the life that you have for us. We ask all these things for your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.